0: Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Setacase. And this is a podcast where we explore fascinating fascinating ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life with experts in those fields. I'm really excited about this episode. I'm not. I guess it's going to touch on a lot. We're going to touch on theology and philosophy, nature and life. So I guess this one's perfect. I'm really really pumped for it. I have with me uh, C. R. Wiley. We're going to be talking about his book in the House of Tom Bombadil, and uh, it's a it's a great book. It's it's short, and so I was like, oh man. Um, C.S. Lewis says, you know, when he, when he sits down to read, he wants to uh, like have a meal or something like that. So I was kind of worried. And as I got into it, I was like, this is rich and deep. And it drew me in. And I'm really excited to, to get in on it even more. Uh, I want to talk about the cover, but I'll, I'll wait for, for Chris to come in for that. Um, before I jump in with him, uh, I want to thank everyone on Patreon. You guys are awesome. You guys are making this happen. If you have benefited from this podcast, if it's your favorite, if it's your top five, top 10, if it's in there, please consider becoming a Patreon patron. You can support me in the link in the description, wherever you're finding this podcast at right now. That would be huge. Everything uh, everything helps, and that'd be, that'd be great. There's a bunch of goodies over on Patreon. You can find stickers, mugs, all sorts of good stuff at, at different levels of support. So please consider supporting me there. Uh, you can also leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and a comment. That would be huge. You can also, above and beyond, you can join our parker's pencey's pont i'm not i don't know why i tried the french in the last word but uh it's a facebook group and you can find a lot of my guests in there as well so you can ask them your questions in the facebook group it's a good time we're learning a lot over there so uh don't spam the group and i'll let you in awesome uh enough like commodifying and and all that good stuff let's let's start the conversation here chris thanks so much for coming on the podcast
1: yeah, Parker. Great to be with you,
0: man. I've been hearing a lot about you for for a while, and some some of my fans are uh, also your fans from the uh, theology podcast. So so they're geeking out right now, seeing the the, <laughs> the crossover, which I think's great. <laughs>
1: That's great.
0: Yeah. Um, real quick, for, for those who who aren't familiar with you, um, I already said you're you're one of the hosts of the theology podcast. Uh, can you tell us a little bit a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yeah, well, I'm a pastor. I, uh, uh, Serve a church here in the Pacific Northwest, right outside of Portland, Oregon. And, uh, I'm on the Washington side. So I'm in kind of San, San, the Seine side of the <laughs> river here.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, anyway, I've been a, uh, pastor for a long time. I've been a professor of philosophy. I've been a real estate investor, uh, building contractor. Uh, and also I've, you know, have a strong interest in aesthetics, the arts, that kind of stuff. um, for uh, about thirty plus years, I lived in New England, so I've only been out here in the Pacific Northwest about uh, just a little over a year now. Oh wow! But anyway, that, that's a little bit of background on me. And then, I, as you noted, I'm part of a, a podcast with Glenn Sunshine and and uh, uh, Tom. And uh, so we're, we're a you know a, a group of guys that talk a lot about theology and philosophy and the kind of stuff that you talk about here. So
0: yeah. Yeah, I've been listening, man. It's been it's been awesome. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I wanted to talk about your your uh, cover here. Just, I'm taking off this little green thing. Uh, for those at home, it's an amazing picture of Tom Bombadil. And uh, I asked Chris before this, you know, I said, uh, you know, who is the artist and, and talking all that? And he's like, yeah, that was me. I just drew that and sent <laughs> it in. So if you, I mean, it alone, it's it's awesome. I want to get a, a print of this and put it up in
1: my office. Oh, wow. It's awesome. Great, he's, great. he's got
0: a beautiful uh, beautiful handlebar mustache as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, he, he, he's, I modeled right. it on you. That's <laughs> great.
0: Can you, can you tell us that story? Like, how, how did that come about? How did your artwork make it to your cover?
1: Well, I, I had an, uh, a dream when I was a kid of uh, being a uh, comic book artist. And mm-hmm. uh, I come from a, a kind of an extended family of artists, uh, some of whom were fairly accomplished. And uh, so that was kind of a world that I just was a part of. And I, li- I, I liked to, to kind of escape into drawing and stuff as a kid. I was kind of like, I guess, uh, Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. I was always mentally out to lunch, you know, in school. <laughs> sure. And I was drawing stuff. But um, so that was my uh, my uh, sort of dream. And uh, anyway, I when I when I became convinced or con- uh, you know, had the conviction that I was called into the ministry. I, I just kind of left that stuff, you know, aside and kind of walked away from it. And I didn't draw for about 30 years and I've just gotten back into it in the last maybe six or seven years Hmm. and been working on some different projects and working on a children's picture book now. Um, but when I was writing this book, I was more or less just kind of doodling kind of thinking about what, what, you know, what's this guy look like? I wasn't very happy with, uh, you know, the brother, Brothers Hildebrand and their portrait. And you go on, you know, if you Google Tom Bombadil and you look at all the fan art, it's just horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> That's I just, hilarious.
0: I had that as my background and I thought, you know, I better change this because this cover is better than all these ones out there.
1: Well, I mean, I like the the Hildebrand uh, rendition of Old Man Willow. That's Yeah, funny. I liked it
0: too. I say I, I switched it out last minute from a Tom Bombadil one.
1: Well, it would have been okay to have the other one. I'm, a, I'm generally speaking, uh, you know, I have a... a you know, I, I like what the, 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 those guys did with with Tolkien and their calendars and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just that, that the Bombadil one didn't quite do it for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, I love it. Uh, the book is fantastic. Um, but I thought before we get in on Bombadil, how'd you get into Tolkien and the his legendarium uh, in the first place?
1: Yeah, well, that, you know, that's kind of a story in itself. And I think a lot of people have their their Tolkien conversion moment stories. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I was a kid. My father was an academic. He was at uh, Washington University of St. Louis. And I remember we were, uh, uh, I was maybe 10 years old. He wasn't really into reading out loud to, to kids or to, mm-hmm. to me or my sister. But for some reason, he was reading uh, Fellowship of the Ring and he just, just started reading out loud. And it was that point in in the fellowship where they're in the minds of Moria and Mary and Pippin are right by that That well, if you remember, and they're Mm -hmm. wondering how deep that thing is, and they drop that that rock. Pippin drops the rock. I think it's Pippin, and uh, you know they're listening and listening and listening. I was right there at the hole with them, you know, listening, listening, wondering how deep it went. And finally, of course, it hits uh, some you know deep uh, stone, and then it awakens something really bad down below. If you recall, yeah. Uh, But it it awakens something in me that was really good, and. From that point on, you know, I just had this this uh, place in my mind with, that Tolkien had taken possession of. Hmm. And I wondered about the story. I, years later, I I found uh, The Hobbit in the school library and read that and then went on to Lord of the Rings. And, and this was in the 70s. And I I remember when, even when the Silmarillion came out in 77, I, I bought that. I was, you know, I was kind of over my head you know, uh, at that point. Uh, but I read it anyway. Mm. And, and, uh, so anyway, uh, for, for me ever since Tolkien has been the measure of a good storyteller and that's been good and bad because bad is that there aren't many people who can measure up to him. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that's how I got into it. Okay. That's
0: good. I, I, um, I was really excited when I saw your post on Bombadil. Uh, on facebook or something because i've i've always had like a hipster love for for bombadil because you know my my dad read me the books uh before the movies came out he's like look we got to get you proper you know proper footing here in the books before the movies (laughs) so we we sped read them uh before they came out when i was a kid and i remember tom bombadil i remember everyone saying oh he wasn't in the movie the movies were good but they didn't have tom bombadil so i had this hipster love of saying like I'm a true fan. I know Bombadil. <laughs> you know you guys don't know him, but it wasn't the kind of love uh, that you put on display in this book. So yeah, why why this book? Why why write a whole book on on Bombadil?
1: Yeah, well you know you can think about Bombadil in different ways. You know your typical fanboy fangirl uh, approach is you know how does he fit into the legendarium, and they're more interested in the history. Mm-hmm. And I have you know a passing interest in that, but. The uh, more that I uh, grew in my appreciation for kind of the sweep, the grand sweep of Western thought, uh, many of the questions that are perennially uh, discussed and 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 addressed throughout Western you know philosoph- the Western philosophical tradition, uh, questions related to linguistics and and knowing something about what you know that the Inklings were up to. I uh, I had just had a sense that that some some things were really uh, significant about Bombadil, and Tolkien was sort of playing out some things uh, in his own thinking with the character. So I, I I the more I reflected on him, the more I saw. And uh, you know, it's one of those things where if you like, I remember years ago I was driving across America, and we were my wife and I were moving, and I was driving a big rider pickup truck you know, you know, rider, you know, like moving truck. Yeah. And, you know, I was very conscious of the fact that I was driving this big rider truck and it seemed like everybody else in America was driving the same truck and hmm. you know, I'd look and I saw it everywhere. And then after I was done, uh, I didn't see it ever again. It was, it was on my mind and I could, see, And because it was on my mind, I could see it yeah. because I'm not thinking about that. Most of the time I don't see it. So, there are things that uh, I've been wondering about, thinking about for a long time, and I don't think I'm reading anything into the story so much as I'm recognizing some things in the story that I would have missed if I didn't uh, spend the time thinking about the th- questions I've been thinking about.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought of I thought of this in a similar fashion to like Michael Ward and and uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, and he, yeah. he it's a, the Narnia code, and it's because he's. He he knows Lewis well. It's because yeah, he's got all his background knowledge. And he reads a poem, and he and he cracks the code. Why is there seven of them? And he sees the seven heavens. And I I think he's probably right on that. Uh, uh, and I think Lewis even kind of hid that from Tolkien, which was which was fun. Yeah. Uh, and and I thought a similar thing here because a lot of people go, you know, maybe Tom Bombadil was a uh, a filler, or he just he was an important important character in Tolkien's grand legendarium and so he just had to stuff him in he would have felt bad if he didn't or something and i think that uh i think you have put your finger on something here that that tolkien did think this was an important feature and a lot of people a lot of people jump on tolkien's uh disdain or i guess it's disdain uh for allegory and they say you know don't don't read into stuff this isn't about world war ii he hates allegory all this right. stuff and then you make this distinction between uh, applicability and, and allegory. And you say you can apply Tom uh, Bombadil. Can you, can you lay out the difference for us between allegory and applicability?
1: Sure. Well, it's something that Tolkien did himself in one of his letters he's describing. Or actually, it's in the foreword, I think, to the second edition of The Lord of the Rings. He was accused of you know of committing the sin of allegory, I think, uh, so often that he got sick of hearing that. And, and he had to say something pretty strong to make sure that people didn't do, you know, make that accusation anymore. Um, I think that what uh, appalled him about allegory, or at least what made it distasteful to him is that uh, allegory has a kind of one-to-one correspondence. You know, you think about Pilgrim's progress, uh, Christian, what does he represent? Duh. <laughs> <They're> right, right. <laughs> Hopeful, what does he represent? Of course, worldly wise. I mean, you, do, you, get, you get the idea. So they're yeah. kind of like cardboard standees for, uh, particular doctrines. Now, you know, uh, Bunyan does a great job. I mean, if you're going to work in that genre, uh, you can't beat Bunyan. Yeah. But it's been done. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. So um, I think what uh, Tolkien is doing when he makes that distinction between applicability and allegory is that when you're reading an allegory, you're at the mercy of the author. Mm-hmm. The, so there's a kind of dom- domination that the author is exercising over your imagination. Whereas when you're talking about applicability, you know, you've got the freedom to apply uh, what you're reading to this or that or not. And it it really is more the measure of the person. Now it's not, it's not entirely like a rush Rush test or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. not just like, you know, there's no actual meaning there. There's a lot of meaning there. Yeah. But uh, it's up to the, it's up to the, uh, the reader to exercise a little, uh, uh, you know, a uh, little exercise powers of observation, um, make connections, yeah. um, that sort of thing. And so, you know, when a, when a reader does that, a reader can actually see things in a work that perhaps weren't even um, on the mind of the of the author, but nevertheless, they're there in the story and the author has to, at a later time, admit they are. Yeah. So, for example, you know, Tolkien... I don't recall where I read this, but if I if I have it correct, if I remember correctly, he was told that uh, it seemed as though the the three offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king, were represented by um, you know Gandalf, Frodo, and course, the king, Aragorn, yeah. and and Tolkien said, "You know, I never thought about that. But <laughs> I think I think you're right." Yeah, <laughs> and I and there has to now if 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 that is the case, then you really need a, a uh, an understanding of the nature of language that's rooted in a kind of metaphysic, a realist metaphysic, for yeah. that to be true. Now, if you're if you don't accept, uh, you know, metaphysics uh, as being a legitimate, you know occupation or preoccupation uh, if you if you think that uh, you know it's just uh, you know sort of the modern way of looking at things uh, that this is all just you know language games and power games and that kind of stuff right then uh then there is no uh you know justification for seeing something uh in a work that wasn't you know either put there by the author or uh, the willful desire of the reader being sort of expressed in a, an interpretation
0: yeah well i i think uh this reminds me of, of jordan peterson and uh and his hammering on archetypes right uh, archetypes archetypes and ironically you know i i think he is uh i don't think he's like a narrative uh, realist uh, i think that he's a little bit of an existentialist um but yeah, we're, we're bringing our own meaning to reality and we're, and we're forcing uh, order out of this chaos. But I think a lot of his archetypal talk uh, insofar as it does match up with reality, I, I think it's because we live in a Christian reality and you are recognizing the greatest story ever told uh, in various other stories, because you can't uh, the closer you get to that, the better the story is going to get. And so the the gospel message, the gospel creation, fall, redemption, uh, it it reverberates through creation and so that you're gonna find that in good stories i think
1: yeah i think that's right you know with peterson and his you know discussion of archetypes he's drawing on young of course and Mm -hmm. with with young you're you're kind of doing kind of depth psychology with regard to the human race (laughs) right so you know we might just all be nuts that's
0: right yeah the collective unconscious yeah
1: (laughs) right right so so there's no reality outside of the collective unconscious to use that that way of putting it uh whereas in you know a realist understanding there really is something out there you know yeah. i think i think that the radical orthodoxy guys you know with their recovery of of this uh you know i think it was uh, john milbank talked about the suspended middle mm-hmm. this idea of something that's being extended down to us you know he's, he's getting at you know what plato called the forms or yeah you know, Aristotle's referring to as, as the essences of things, that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. One thing that I I really, really appreciated with your book is um, you don't tie up all the loose ends for us. There's a, there's a, there's a trend in, in some Christian authors where we want to wrap everything up and, you know, we got the gospel in there. And so now let's tie everything up nice and nice and good for us. And that's it. And you you kind of bring us down deeper into the rabbit trails, and you say, "Look, there's so still, still, you you settle, you know, you tie up the loose ends on your own. You figure this stuff out. I'm gonna take you in deeper or up and in, I guess. Um, but you know, look, I'm not gonna say that Tolkien definitely had this in mind or definitely, had, and I really really appreciate that. I think that is is fair to Tolkien. I think it uh, is a really rich way to to read and think about uh, Bombadil. So I was really encouraged by you letting the the loose ends." remain loose
1: yeah i i don't think that i can uh, do what michael ward did with narnia i mean Mm -hmm. i really do think he 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 has the the rosetta stone (laughs) yeah i I think you're right yeah Yeah. and uh uh and, and and when when you see you know you know that planet narnia uh argument um i don't think you can deny it because it seems like lewis was talking about it all the time in all of his what stuff, you know, it's like, how did we miss this? This is one of those things. Whereas whereas I think that, I think that Tolkien was, um, enigmatic on purpose. And he tells us that because he's trying to get us to sort of have this conversation. I think, I I think that's the point. And, you know, mysteries in the, in antiquity were not like, uh, um, we understand mysteries today. Um, today it's, Sherlock Holmes. So I think that, you know, those Christian authors who try to tie up, you know, all the loose ends and answer every question, they're pro- approaching mysteries the way a modern person does. Yeah. You know, it's a puzzle to solve. Yeah. Uh, whereas in antiquity, you know, mysterion, which is the word that is translated into sacrament, you know, it makes its journey, uh, you know, in Latin into English, uh, is uh, addressing the hidden sort of reality beneath the surface. So when we're talking about say the sacraments, there's something real going on uh beneath the surface that we can't see. It's a mystery in that sense. So it's not it's not a mystery that is solved. It's it's just kind of it's just a reality that is present that sometimes you see and sometimes you don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well Chris, I I'm trying I don't want to uh after I just said I don't like when people wrap everything up. I'm also trying to wrap my head around uh, your book in the house of Tom Bombadil. And, and one of the key themes that stands out is dominion um, and dominion without denom- uh, without uh, domination and the, the ring of power being a force of dominion. And it, it's really good. It's actually been really edifying for me. Uh, and I, I look out at my yard today and I was like, Dominion, man, this is cool. I want to, I want to live in a, I want to be like Tom Bombadil in my life. Uh, So I was really, really excited for the spring to come. I'm I'm in Chicago, so it's all snowy and terrible, but I'm ready for it. I'm ready for the spring because of your book. Uh, I thought maybe we could set up the Dominion conversation with the comparison between the Ring of Power. And the ring. I'm going to botch this, but the ring of uh, is it Gaige's guy? Guy.
1: I've always pronounced it. I've always pronounced it Gaige's, but I'm not an authority, you know. Yeah. You know, years ago, I was told that when you're when you're reading ancient languages out loud, just sound like you know what you're talking about, and everybody <laughs> yeah. will believe you.
0: That's right. Yeah. So I haven't heard too many people say it out loud. That's my problem. I always read it, but yeah. Um, from uh, from Gla- Glaucon, uh, in uh, in Plato's Republic, he gives this this little quick allegory story whatever of of a, a ring that also makes you invisible
1: yeah well i'm pretty i i'm confident that tolkien knew that story sure and uh so i guess my my point with the bringing that up in the book is just to demonstrate that this isn't an entirely original concept and and there's also you know in uh republic uh, uh ties uh wickedness to that that ring as well so mm. You know, it's uh, it's not, again, original with Tolkien uh, to see that, you know, a ring that could make you invisible would make it possible for you to get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, so, but the, there is a difference. And, uh, you know, with the Ring of Gyges, it just reveals how bad you are, whereas the Ring of Power and Lord of the Rings actually makes you worse. Yeah. So
0: Yeah, I, that's, I love that. So I just recently um, have heard about the, the Ring of Gyges, and I've been, I've read some Plato. Uh, but the Republic's not my favorite. So I, I keep on like starting it and then I don't get through enough. And I, I like his I like a lot of other ones. Um, but but I gotta work through the Republic. So I keep missing it. And people were like, you know, just recently I heard someone talk about this ring of Gaijis And I was like, oh man, did he did he rip it off or what? And then so this was really helpful reading yours and saying, look, they're similar, and obviously he had this in mind, but the ring of Gaijis reveals your inner wickedness because you know we could do whatever we want if we were invisible. And so what do you really want to do? Well, you're, you're showing your wickedness by, you know, going in the women's locker room and all sorts of sick stuff. But the ring of power is like changing someone who wouldn't do that into someone who would do that. Um, I thought that was great. And so that sets up like the ring has dominion over you or it's, it's, it's Sauron exercising dominion over you. Is that, does that sound right? Domination?
1: Yeah. Yeah. What I try to do in the, in my book is make a distinction between, um, dominion and domination Mm -hmm. domination would be a fallen uh, sort of exercise of dominion. So, uh, and this is where things get to be, uh, difficult for us to to sort of, um, I guess, uh, parse things out in our own lives. When are we exercising dominion in a way that is, is in keeping with the powers, uh, that have been given to us by the one who has given us dominion, God. And when have we crossed a line and, um, begun to exercise dominion in a fallen way that is wicked and, and is something that should be condemned. So, so, and, you know, one of the thoughts I had as I, as I was thinking about Bombadil is how marvelously he uh, uh, contrasts with both Saran and and Saruman. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, and I focus more on Saruman just because we know more about him. Yeah. Um, You know, so uh, we can actually see uh, sort of the, the after effects of Saran's fall, I mean, Sarman's fall, whereas, you know, the fall of Saran is so lost in, in, in time and, and in the past that, you know, uh, it's hard for us to appreciate just how how he got to be the way he is. Right. Because even Saran at one point wasn't Saran. And, you know, he was a different sort of creature. Yeah. Um, and uh, so anyway, so that was something that intrigued me and I thought, that in the course of the story the fact that tom is presented to us right up front as the story is getting going he serves as a as a as a foil to um the dominion that is being pursued and exercised by the wicked character so that that was something i tried to play with a little bit in my analysis of his place in the story
0: yeah well, well i think they I think both of them come from the root, uh, damas, right. I think you, I think you brought that out. Yeah. And, and I think also like, uh, your, your domicile or like your, your, your home is, it's yeah. all from the same the same word.
1: Yeah. And domestic. Uh, yeah. so it's a word, you know, uh, that shouldn't bring, uh, you know, to our minds the things that the word domination tends to bring, <laughs>
0: Yeah,
1: <Right. laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, we've been given, uh, the, uh, the powers that we possess as human beings, uh, that really do, um, you know, single us out from the other creatures in the world. And we really do have a kind of uh, ring of power that we can't, uh, uh, ever sort of rid ourselves of. There's no, there's no, there's no Mount Doom for us. Uh, no, <laughs> I, I do, I do point. think that there are people who try to, I do think there are people who try to abdicate, but I think they're only fooling themselves. I mean, yeah. you know, um, it, it, it's it's just just it's just simply a fact <laughs> yeah you know we have the power to do things that no other creature uh has the power to do in the, this world so uh then the question is well how do we exercise that the way we should um and unfortunately we've got plenty of history to to look at that to demonstrate that we often exercise dominion like saruman and saran
0: yeah yeah seriously well th- this um this has coming up just a perfect time for me uh reading your book i'm i'm in a uh philosophy of technology class mm. and uh we're we're going over heidegger and and i'm uh being trained as an analytic philosopher so reading heidegger is is very hard for me uh, well the uh, continental side my,
1: my sympathies to you i'm i'm not uh, i'm more of a classical guy myself <laughs> okay
0: all right yeah well and that's great too I, it's all good stuff um heidegger talks about uh challenging forth and uh what is it calling calling forth maybe bringing forth and um it's cool because it, bringing forth is like you're living uh the, the biblical guys like van hooser will say like along the grain of scripture or along the grain of reality and challenging forth is you're just destroying things just because you need the elements and so you're completely stripping down a tree for a telephone pole or, or, or something like that maybe that's oh, yeah. not a big yeah. deal but right um and I, I see that as I've been learning this idea of, uh, you know, technological domination and determinism, I, I see it in Tolkien. I see it in Lewis. Oh, yeah. uh, right. I see it in in Star Wars. Though they have their own kind of you know uh, pantheism type weird stuff going on, but uh, the the bad guys are the guys who strip everything and make everything into just a hermetically sealed clean sweep of everything and the good guys, the ones who live in, in Concord with nature, there's, there's some dirt on the floor or the floors are made of dirt or something like (laughs) that.
1: Right. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, when we think about star Wars um, or other attempts to kind of get back in touch with what we all kind of know deep down inside is a a better way to relate, relate to the created order around us. Uh, People turn to the East because they've either not been introduced to, uh, the line of thinking that we're we're getting into here as Christians, or they've come to adopt, or they've come to believe that kind of the excesses of the Enlightenment and the Scientific Revolution can be blamed on the Church. You know, mm. it's, it's it's sort of like a, you, you can't win with these people. You know, I was just thinking <laughs> that. You know, either we, either we have been the the you know the the, the obstacle to yeah, human yeah holding process. everything
0: back because we're Christians.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> or we're completely to blame for you know global warming. Right. So. Uh, anyway, but if you if you if you look at uh, you know the the actual story, you'll see particularly in places uh, you know like uh, Lewis's Abolition of Man, where he helps you to kind of zero in on this. Yeah. Um, what we have with the with the scientific revolution and kind of concurrent with that, the technological revolution, because they've really gone hand in glove, is a, uh, a quest to, to master the natural world and make it serve human interests. Now, there are certain things about this that are undeniably good. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we know a lot more about, uh, you know, the things that make us sick, things that hurt to harm us. We've learned a lot about how to impre- increase yields with our crops and all the, all of that stuff's great. But um, but even that stuff, we're beginning to see there's a downside. Yeah. Um, you, know, we, you know, even with like uh, antibiotics, you know, uh, wouldn't you know there is a there is a downside even to those you know we're helping they're helping you know to create super viruses that yeah you know we can, we won't be able to, to to stop so but i guess kind of at the heart of it is you know what is up with the scientific revolution and um i think that lewis uh does what he does with like you know uh, that hideous strength and the abolition of man, and 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 in many other places, like the magician's nephew, he's he's addressing the scientific revolution and its uh, kind of inner core, uh, mm-hmm. the desire to dominate, and I think that Tolkien's doing very much the same thing with Saruman, particularly, yeah. and there's that marvelous scene in Orthanc or not marvelous. It wasn't marvelous for Gandalf, yeah. <laughs>
0: but,
1: but in terms of what we see there, where you have this dialogue between the two wizards and that dialogue, I think is uh, revelatory in, in at, at le- different levels. So, yeah i'd be happy to talk about that but i'm kind of running away with this
0: no it's this gold man i was i was i wrote down a quote that i that I snagged for your book uh gandalf says to Saruman, uh and he that breaks a thing to find out what it is has left the path of wisdom yeah and and some some analytic uh, philosopher listening well of course you don't have to break this and we wouldn't know about the circulatory system okay yeah <laughs> yeah but that's what the corpse it's it's there is something here where it's yeah you don't bust the thing you observe the thing and you see right. it and it's you don't. Uh, this is Lewis's whole thing against vivisection and, uh, you know, just shredding apart animals in order to right. to study them. It's it's gross. Right. It's dehumanizing. It's it's uh, depersonalizing to your to the one doing the vivisection.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I think that's definitely going on in that particular episode. So if you if you recall, if pe- if people are maybe listening to us, maybe haven't read the that part of the book or have only seen the movies. So what you have in that scene is a, a Gandalf's been captured by a Saruman and uh, saruman reveals himself as saruman of many colors he used to be saruman the white but now he's saruman of many colors and Gandalf says well i liked white better (laughs) (laughs) and then and then uh saruman says well it's good for a start it's good you know you know the, the 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 white cloth can be dyed the the white page can be overwritten and then he says the white light can be broken
0: yeah
1: and then uh Gandalf says, in which case is no longer white. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes on to say what you just said, you know, he who breaks a thing in order to understand it is departed from the path of wisdom. Now, I think that this is a subtle allusion to Newton's uh, experiments with optics, this whole, this whole episode. Hmm. So many people have identified, you know, those experiments as kind of being the, uh, I guess, the, uh, the, 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 the fullest sort of like a visual expression of what, um, you know, science is up to getting sort of uh, opening up these hidden realities. So you don't see the spectrum unless you break the light. Oh, yeah. So, you know, So there's, there are these hidden, there, there are these mysteries, mm-hmm. there are these mysteries. And uh, science helps us to, uh, act, you know, access and have, and have insight into those mysteries. So, uh, but what happens is some, something's broken. Now, where does the breaking stop? You know, if we're talking about light, sure, okay. If we're talking about animals, well, now we're going into some territory that starts to make people uncomfortable. If we're talking about people, yeah, now we all admit that that's too far. But uh, in the history of our, you know, last uh, five hundred years or so, we've discovered that that that's not too far from any people. Yeah. They're willing to break other people to get what they want to know, and and I think that what you know what we see with uh, Saruman and Gandalf is you know Saruman threatens Gandalf not long after the that that exchange and essentially says uh, we'll find ways to make you talk yeah you know <laughs> so uh, he's willing to break Gandalf to find out what he wants to know and I think but it's all kind of part of a a, a, a single cloth it, it kind of all goes together
0: yeah and and I you brought up how that's uh, representative of the you know, knowledge is power type view and and not. Uh, knowledge, power for more knowledge or power for living uh, along the grain of reality type stuff. But yeah, to to there doesn't matter what's really out there. If I have the power, I have the knowledge how to use stuff, I can break it down and I can make the world into my image instead of yeah. instead of vice versa and living in concord or accord with uh, with nature itself.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think we see something more in the spirit of that with Bombadil for sure. Hmm. And so I think Bombadil presents us with, so, you know, we've got two epistemologies, we've got uh, two paths, uh, we've got two forms or two expressions of wisdom or two kinds of wisdom. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Saruman, uh, he thinks he's pretty wise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Gandalf doesn't think so. And that and it's left to us, to us as the readers to make our judgment, who's, who's wiser, Is Gandalf or Saruman or Bombadil or Saruman? you know, and, and we, we, we get a, we get a pretty good sample with Sarma because we see him in different, you know, lights and different times. Um, but I think, uh, what we, what we're presented with, uh, in Bombadil is a different way of knowing. And that's something that interested me as I reflected on him.
0: Yeah. I, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to read in too much, but it just seems like there's so much wisdom in, in Tolkien's universe. Um, uh, which is just fantastic when you read these characters uh it's amazing how rich it is it's amazing the amount of wisdom and stuff so i always want to maybe i want to pull out too much but um you you talked about there's 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 morals in the story still every every story still has morals even if it's not an allegory right and I, I want to be a sage. I, I, I love that idea. I want a white beard. You got a beautiful white beard there. <laughs> I want that, man. I want to embody that. You know, it's uh gray hairs are uh honor to the, to the wise. Right. So I want to be a sage and here we have two sages and we have one. Don't be this one. Don't be, don't be the backstabber. Don't be the, the user, the abuser, the uh, unloyal, you know, disloyal. Holy cow. Yeah. Turning your back on your friend. Be yeah. like Gandalf. Um, Gandalf was suckered in now too right and Radagast was 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 made a, a fool so what do we what do we make of the interaction of the wizards
1: yeah that's that's those are excellent thoughts um well the name Saruman uh if I remember correctly means a uh, man of skill hmm. so um there's a particular I think thing that's being alluded to even with the name um he has uh we're told by treebeard a mind of metal and wheels yeah and he wants to uh know but not be known i think that's key he wants to know but not be known so so treebeard on you know as he's reflecting on his long relationship with saruman he says that's you know he had told saruman many things that saruman never would have learned if he hadn't told him right. but then says, but he never returned the favor he never told me anything that uh, i didn't know um he didn't you know tell me anything he's and he describes sermon as a a a stone wall with windows that are shuttered from the inside
0: i loved that yeah so it's not enough that it's a stone wall but there's windows and even the windows are are shuttered
1: yeah Yeah. so you don't want to commune with what you intend to control communion is a different kind of knowing Uh, um So there's another point, you know, in the, you know, the the story with the Hobbits and, you know, Mary and Pippin and Treebeard where, you know, I I think it's Mary, perhaps it's Pippin says, uh, pardon me, will you tell us what you're about to do to us or or with us? Yeah. And uh, Treebeard, this is early in their relationship, he says, "Uh, if you mean do something uh, to you, I won't do anything to you, uh, uh, you know, against your will but there are some things that we can do together <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, the, and that, and that's the spirit of, I think the wisdom of Treebeard, the wisdom of, you know, Bombadil, even the wisdom of Gandalf uh, and Aragorn, all the good characters in the story. If you think about it, if you remember um, ask the hobbits permission at different points in the course of the story for certain things. Hmm. So, Recall when Aragorn meets the, the hobbits, you know, Sam and Frodo and Marion Pippin at, you know, the, the uh, Prancing Pony and, and Bree. Uh, he asks them for permission to go to, to lead them through the wilderness. Now, think about this Aragorn knows Frodo has the ring. <laughs> yeah. And that there are nine black riders that are out to get that ring from Frodo. You know, if I was in that spot, I would just say, "Boy, just give me that stupid ring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll take it from here." (laughs) This is—you don't know what you've gotten yourself into. (laughs) Yeah, but he doesn't, which is astonishing when you think about it. Now, would he maybe have resorted to that in the last as a last resort? I don't know. Sure, it's kind of speculation, but I think it's noteworthy that he doesn't do that. And and this and Galadriel and. And Gandalf and Elrod, Elrod, they all have the same kind of regard uh, for the the kind of the uh, the will and the choices uh, that are being made by the weaker characters in the story, the weaker creatures. I think that's the measure uh, of, you know, what what I'm getting at here, I think. So domination and dominion, I think, are in contrast, but I also think control and communion are in contrast Mm. in the story. And what we see with the hobbits in Bombadil's house is they are communing with the oldest creature in Middle-earth, the most knowledgeable creature in Middle-earth, and probably, in my conviction, the most powerful creature in Middle-earth. Now, you know, they, there is a question whether or not he was up to kind of, you know, the challenge of Saran. And yeah. that, that Council well, rod there they, they don't think he is. But um, nevertheless, he's a pretty powerful dude. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, seriously.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um.
0: I, I think I think back to to Salerman, uh, Salerman. uh he his name means uh, man of skill and I, I think uh, back to my biblical theology class with with D A Carson and he would ask just random trivia about the Bible uh, just random things like you know what's the the first thing described of of the serpent in the Bible and he's like okay so you got to have those kind of random things down for the quiz um, and he was crafty. And that's, that's how it's translated. I think it might be the Hebrew word hakam, which is like wise. Uh, but in context, it makes sense to call it crafty. And it's like, you know, Satan using uh, the gifts that God's given him to be crafty instead of to be wise or uh, wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Now he's crafty because he's trying to get at his own thing. And it's the same thing with Solomon. Like he's this man of skill and he's, he's been twisted and he's continually twisted himself to use that skill to make w- weapons of war, to trick his best friends or his friends into these situations. And it's, it's terrifying to think of that, uh, that that the gifts that God's given me, I can use and have used for my own selfishness, for sin, for just wickedness. And just what an abomination of the good gifts that we've been given Yeah, uh, to use, you know, for dominion. And we use that for dominion. I keep saying denomination. Uh, maybe that's a Freudian <laughs> slip or something. Right?
1: That's right. That's right. Maybe that's what those are really up to. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: right. That's right. Well, um, so so back to uh, to Bombadil. You gave this analysis of um, Bombadil uh, interacting with the Ring from Frodo, and I thought it was just fantastic. Man, you drew out so much that I didn't get uh, the first couple times reading through. Um. Bombadil doesn't ask for you you mentioned how all the all these characters more powerful than the hobbits they ask for permission Bombadil doesn't ask for permission he like demands or commands or uh can can you lead us through the interaction between Bombadil and Frodo and the Ring
1: Oh yeah yeah it's a lot of fun um uh, so he just uh you know they're they're in his house uh uh during the day in which you know there's all that rainfall and then that evening you know they're sitting and talking and and then uh in almost a uh, mocking way, yeah. he, he he says to Frodo, "Show me the precious ring." Now, he when he precious, says "precious," yeah? that's right. When he says "precious," now I don't. We don't. We're not told whether or not uh, Frodo told him about Gollum in the course of the of this. You know, his his uh, explaining what they were up to and all that kind of stuff and why they had to go on this journey. But it's just, it's significant nonetheless that here we have uh bombadil using that word precious yeah. and and in a, in, a, in a jocular way you know just having a little fun with it. and so immediately uh frodo pulls the ring out without even thinking uh, takes it off the, the the chain and just hands it to him
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: almost, he's he's almost surprised himself that he's doing this <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and then the first thing that tom does is he takes the ring and he puts it up to his eye and he looks through it and it's an alarming sight the hobbit's Uh, the the narrator says uh, and what comes to my mind when when he does that is the eye of saran seeking the ring you know never resting he's mocking saran at this moment (laughs)
0: yeah i never caught that until i I read that uh yesterday or something i i was thinking i looked up in my ring and i was like that that's it's like um uh in in harry potter or whatever um you know he who must not be named and you use his name and it's like what are you doing, man? This is a big deal. You don't just this isn't a flippant
1: <laughs> thing that you do. Right, right, right. So he's he does that and then he puts the ring on his little finger, the little finger of his big brown hand. Now hmm. uh, Tol- Tolkien, that's exactly the way he puts it. So this is not even uh, you know, a big enough ring to you know Put on his uh. thumb or his forefinger or middle finger right? It's this little finger and he holds and it, it grew,
0: up too and it grew it grew to fit his pinky like he saw it grow but it still was just on his pinky yeah that's
1: yeah and what what happens is that it, it you know whenever you see that the ring kind of grow it's it's an indication that the ring is exercising or it's ex- a sort of radiating power at that moment. Mm-hmm. So it's as though this ring is sort of protesting this treatment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, and so he holds it up and he looks at it, you know, in the candlelight and then the hobbits are astonished because he didn't disappear. You know, he just kind of, you know, is you know, admiring the ring. And then he takes it and then he flips it up in the air and then he makes it disappear. You know, yeah. I can't remember if he snaps his finger or whatever, but it's just poof, it's gone. And so the ring doesn't make Tom disappear. He makes the ring disappear. And of course, at this point, Frodo's astonished, alarmed. And then like an uncle at Thanksgiving, you know, he just leans over and hands the ring back to Frodo and says, there you go, boy. Yeah. (laughs) Now what follows this is if Frodo's a little miffed, you know, Tom has made light of something that even Gandalf has been, you know, you know, reluctant to, to, to even touch and, and so Frodo, to see if it's still the right ring, you know, puts it on his own finger, but also to kind of prove this is a powerful thing you've made fun of. Yeah. And, then, and then the other hobbits can't see him. Uh, and he gets up and he starts walking away. And then Tom just looks right at him and says, Frodo, where are you going? Oh, yeah, that's so good. <laughs> he's looking, he's, he sees him. So, I mean, the mastery that's demonstrated here by Tom throughout the through episode uh shows us that the ring has no power over him but he has power over the ring
0: yeah yeah and i i love that so much so there's this there's in the house of of tom bombadil house dominion domain like all all these things going on the ring of power ex- exerts domination over and it's not over tom and he's able to be flippant about it and then you get this phrase uh no one can catch old tom and and you say not even the Lord of the Rings, and it's right. just like I, I just I had never caught that until till your book, and uh, it's amazing. Like the everyone else, Gandalf can't touch it, uh, Galadriel can't like no one can touch it, but Tom can, and it and it brings up this question immediately, which you you t- you touch uh, towards the end of the book why didn't he just bring the ring himself and you, and you even lay it out like how it might go down. He's stomping and he's clopping his way all the way up through and throwing it in. And so like, what do you, what do you make of that? Why, why didn't he?
1: Well, I, you know, there are different ways to think about it. One is it wouldn't have been a very good story, right? right. (laughs) But I I do think maybe that uh, what would be uh, lost in a story like that would be the struggle that, the rest of us face yeah. with, uh, this desire to dominate. So we all, we are, all, we're all subject to this. We're, we are all tempted to turn other people into our instruments, you know, the means by which we get what we want. Yeah. Now there's always going to be a sense in which, you know, I, you know, Kant and, you know, uh, people not being, a, a, a you know, a means, but they are, you know, their own ends. And I, and, you know, i i get that but at the same time we're we're always relying on other people for stuff, so there's a sense in which you know we're always means and ends, so it's not like being a means is necessarily a bad thing right. so i'm 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 a means to my wife's happiness you know well, it's sure. a that's a good thing uh now if she uh were diabolical and start- and started uh you know working in ways skillfully to to manipulate me then that would be wicked Mm -hmm. and so that's the i think that's the line that we all have to observe in the course of our lives and i think tolkien believed that it didn't end with people Mm -hmm. i think that tolkien had a more expansive understanding of how uh, we as human beings are to exercise dominion in the world and with a with a kind of love and respect for all created things yeah didn't make him a pacifist didn't make him uh you know a vegetarian
0: i know it's just yeah right because <laughs> there's like a there's like a tree hugger way of doing this and you know i love my tree hugger friends but i think you guys are missing out and stuff and i don't think we should all just drink hemlock and die and That's i don't right. think the world would be a better place i actually think uh, you know, invasive species would spread throughout the earth and everything would, there'd be one plant left. You
1: know, there'd be a... <laughs> it'd be kudzu. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been down in the south and the, and the, and you've seen, if you've ever seen kudzu, but that's one of the freakiest things you ever want to look at where this particular vine just takes over entire, you know, sort of, uh, you know, miles of forest and kills okay. everything beneath it.
0: Yeah. Okay, I was thinking, uh, up here we got Buckthorn, uh, and, and this stupid, terrible Buckthorn. It's like this thin little uh, tree, and it leans on everything, and it's got these giant thorns that'll jab you right in the eye. Mm. Um, but if you don't have a, a manager, uh, I, I know you, you don't like that word as much, uh, but if you don't have someone exercising proper dominion over the, the forest, the forest gets unruly, and you get terrible forest fires. I know there's a debate yeah. on how much to burn and stuff like that, too. People, yeah. people go wild, but... You do need some kind of management of the forest for it to be a healthy forest.
1: Yeah, I think that there is a time for, for you know, people to intervene. Um, you know, what we see with Tom, you know, what you have with Tom is you have, you know, Tom lives between the forest and the, and the Barodont. So he lives between a, uh, uh, you know, a perilous land and tombs which yeah. is kind of where we all live. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, we're, we're we're in this fallen world. In a way, I've I've often thought of Tom as sort of like an unfallen man in a fallen world. Right. So here he is. He's got death behind him. He's got the you know, sort of this this uh, malicious forest full of man-eating trees <laughs> yeah <laughs> right there and then he's just skipping along and singing and hanging out with goldberry <laughs> yeah it's a great life yeah and uh but but this uh this this matter of uh intervention well tom intervenes a couple times in the story he's not a hippie he's not just like yeah. you know whatever uh when he catches a tree eating hobbits he steps in and and saves the day he yeah. delivers the hobbits from the tree when he sees a barrel white uh, which is a go a ghoul a ghost uh about to kill some hobbits in a tomb he goes in the tomb and gets them out yeah so so he's not he's not just a whatever kind of guy uh he he does exercise uh his uh, powers of judgment and i mean that both in terms of his mental faculties judging but also in terms of his actions judging yeah he judges the tree he judges the bear white
0: yeah Oh, that's really good. Yeah, he does. He does step in to intervene, but he hasn't done so much. Uh, he hasn't done so in a domineering way, such that there's no more danger. You know, there's still danger out there. He hasn't made everything a nice, safe little path that, that they can get through. He warns them, and he gives them his, you know, his calling card of sorts, and in, in the song that they can sing. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, he's not like the uh, the domineering father who just, you know, latches on and says everything's safe now. Uh, he still lets nature be nature. I i wonder also about um like the 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 fittingness of the ring bear like i wonder what tolkien and it's uh, i think it's probably speculation some people have talked about the uh lately people have been saying that uh the lord of the rings is not a christian story blah 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 you know you know i'm sure you've you've seen that going around on facebook and stuff but other people will point christians will point to a, a sense of providence uh and i think there's there's more than just a, a sense of providence going on but there's like this fittingness that Frodo is the ring bearer. And so it wouldn't be fitting that um, Tom takes the ring. Gandalf thinks he would he would forget about the task at hand. And, and you say, you know, you're not, you don't agree with, uh, you might not agree with Gandalf there, but you, you'd you mentioned how everyone keeps respecting the hobbits. What's the deal with like, hey, that's, that's the guy who has the ring. Well, it could be me. I could take the ring from him. Any of us, people have tried, you know, and they, they betray him. why? Why is there, like, this respect for he, Frodo has it, so he's going to take it?
1: Well, yeah, that's a, that's a, something worth reflecting on. I think, you know, you when you noted that some people try to take it from obviously, Boromir does. Right. And is not a bad guy, you know, in a lot of ways. And you know, he's, you know, he's ambitious, yeah, but I think his ambitions are directed toward a noble cause. Yeah. And uh, he does repent in the end. He does see the error of his ways after, you know— he he attempted to take the ring. I think um, I think that Tolkien is saying something both about providence, uh, and there are points in the story where, particularly Gandalf, make makes that connection uh, that you were meant to, to have the ring, and that's mm. a that's a that's a comforting thought. Or something. I can't remember how exactly he puts it, but but I also think there's something about the strategy of weakness here so this is uh weakness overcoming overwhelming odds yeah so you know this is the you know what is the purpose of the hobbits in middle earth if it isn't this moment right (laughs) right they 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 have been brought into existence for this moment yeah and uh you know they're children of iluvatar as well you know there's some there's some kind of connection to human beings Uh, you know they're they're related to us in uh, some mysterious way uh, in the deep past. They're not related to the dwarves. They're not related to the elves. Uh, they're related to us, the big people, the big people a little bit. We you see them living side by side in Bree, you know, and they've got a yeah. good relationship.
0: And the rangers protect the Shire. Well, for right. some reason I'm still unclear on, but yeah, they're on the outskirts keeping it safe.
1: Yeah, yeah. So those are the, you know, the descendants of the the, the house of Anor in the north. You know, these are these are Numerarians who yeah. protect the Shire. Uh, so there is a uh, I think something being said about um, kind of the genius of I think uh, weakness overcoming this dominating spirit so like when we think about uh, Denethor's madness at the very end of the story where he's you know the the steward of Gondor he has one of the, the palantir and he is actually communicating with Saran and uh as Saruman was, and we know that he's a pretty formidable personality, uh, and wasn't entirely made uh, a slave to Saran simply by his interactions with him, but he was driven to despair. Hmm. He was driven to despair because Saran would show him, if you remember, uh, the extent of his might and, you know, Denethor knew what, what, you know, he, what he had, he knew it was no match. Yeah he knew it was just inevitable that Sauron was going to win, but that was the thing that, 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 you know, Saran and, and Denethor, they were kind of operating at this level of strength meets strength. And then Gandalf introduces, you know, through the hobbits, a whole secret approach to uh, kind of getting behind the defenses of Sauron, yeah. literally <laughs> yeah, right, get, get, getting in there through this, uh, this, this way of weakness. Yeah. Um, physical weakness. Now there's Herculean strength with, with both uh, Frodo and Sam. I mean, they're remarkably powerful personalities and yeah. their virtue is powerful. Um, but their virtue is also tempered by a kind of humility. They know their limitations yeah. uh, and they, and they're um, able to acknowledge them without, without uh, hesitation. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's fun to see Sam, self-deprecate all the time, (laughs) you know, Sam Gamgee, you know, what are you thinking? (laughs) Right. You're, you're a hobbit. Yeah. That kind of thing. You know, you'll never catch up with those, to those guys, you know, (laughs) you need to use your head. (laughs) Yeah. Just this kind of thing, you know, and there's something about that uh, humility and uh, realism and uh, uh, but still dogged determination, not to give up, to keep fighting, uh, to do whatever you can, even though the the odds are overwhelmingly against you. Yeah, that makes you know Frodo and Sam, and even Mary and Pippin, so inspiring.
0: So, I uh, I have a hard time with this because I I, I see both is right. I see you know uh, uh, the wisdom of of God is not the it's not the wisdom of man, and the the it's foolishness to the Greeks. And and yes, Christ came, and uh, you know he. He emptied himself. He he was humble, even to the point of a cross. And then we we're also called to exert this skilled mastery uh, over over creation. And if I'm making a team, I want the most skilled guy. I don't want to pick
1: yeah, the yeah,
0: the weakling, you know. And and right, so often right. God's like, dude, hey, the way up is down. And I I I wonder. Um, you mentioned this about uh, you mentioned this about Frodo, and you said Frodo was was the right guy. Uh, Bilbo and Gandalf thought maybe he was the best of the hobbits, but he had to become the hobbit to throw the ring. He didn't really even throw it in. He got his finger bit off. But um he still made this Herculean uh journey, like you said. And you you it's the, the cliche that God doesn't call a qualified, but he qualifies the called type stuff. But also, you know, I, I see uh the apostle Paul. He was the next in line. You know, this dude was he goes over his own his own qualifications and they're legit. And I just, I, I wonder if you could help me out with that. Cause I, I do have this hard time. I want to be like, whatever my hand finds to do, I want to do with all my might. I want to be an expert in what I do. I want to be an expert husband. I want to be, I'm a, a fantastic jujitsu player. I want to be a great philosopher. Uh, you know, I want to be a, a solid elder. But then we also have this, like, what this the way of weakness, the way of like, Hey, look, you're not enough. You're never going to be enough. You need the Holy spirit. You need God to like, how do we work with both of these things? Do you see my tension here?
1: oh yeah i I deal with it all the time myself i'm with you i i think that the strengths uh that we possess the excellencies so to speak uh arate virtue i think they're all great and they're gifts from god and so i think that we should hone those skills we should you know be masterful in the best sense of the of the word masterful wherever we find ourselves so you know um you know, if, 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 you know, you found yourself in a situation where there were a lot of people depending on you to make tough decisions and, you know, their lives were at stake. Do you think they'd really want to hear you say, Oh, shucks. I don't know much. (laughs) Maybe maybe we should try this. (laughs) I could be wrong. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so I think that there is a time for, you know, confident action and, and all of that. And I think that sometimes we, we can actually use the Verses that you know we've been referring to about uh, weakness and strength as a kind of excuse for getting out of making tough decisions and yeah. doing the hard things, or, or actually, you know, acquiring mastery. One of the one of the best ways to uh, you know keep from failure, in one sense, is to never try. But that's yeah. the sure path to being a failure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so well, you, you've not fooled anybody uh, but yourself. So. You know, when it comes to mastery, uh, there's there's uh, I think that but I think, you know, thinking about, you know, uh, God's weakness is stronger than man's strength. What is that actually saying? Well, that's basically saying that um, that, you know, you you know, God, so to speak, even on a bad day is way, way more than you've got, buddy. Yeah, (laughs) there's there's nothing you can do to match him uh even when he's doing what he's doing in what appears to be a weak way when it when it appears to be weak uh what you have is strength being exercised in a way that's very i guess uh skillful and almost you know this is this is something i i i i have mixed feelings about talking about but i actually uh when i think about the cross well there's there's actually uh medieval thinkers uh observed this the, that the cross was a kind of mouse trap. Hmm. It was it was intended to catch the devil. So you know, it's sort of like uh, Brer Rabbit. You remember the stories: Brer Rabbit, bear Fox, Brer Bear. bear? Hmm. They're kind of they've kind of fallen out of favor, but they these are stories that uh, African American slaves told. And in those stories, uh, it's the clever rabbit that always out you know sort of outsmarts uh, the fox and the bear. And so the oppressors, obviously, are the fox and the bear. And so this weak rabbit uh, is supposedly uh, at their mercy. But he keeps getting, you know, he keeps escaping. He keeps laughing at them. He keeps kind of doing his thing. So there's this marvelous uh, episode where Bear Fox catches Bear Rabbit. And Bear Rabbit says to the fox, you know, he says, oh, you know, You can do anything you want to me, but don't throw me in that briar patch. That's the worst thing that could possibly happen to me. If you throw (laughs) me in that briar patch, it would be the end of my life, and I would be the most miserable death. And anyway, so the fox said, oh, you don't like going in that briar patch, eh? So he throws him in the briar patch, and the the rabbit's hopping around and just laughing. (laughs) I was born in the briar patch. (laughs) (laughs) And then the fox gets mad and tries to go ahead and get him and gets all cut up. So, uh, like, when you think about the – you know, the cross, cross in a way you could say is is weakness, but another way is to saying. OK, go ahead and hit me. Hmm. You know, you, you know, you want to. Yeah. You know, you really want to kill me, don't you? <laughs> yeah. And then the, the devil says, yeah, I got you where I want you. And then he, and he kills him and the, yeah. the Lord just laughs and says, that's exactly what I wanted you to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now you've lost everything, chump. <laughs> right. I love that. Yeah.
0: It's like, uh, yeah. Like the, the biggest like self-own or, or, uh, you know, self-touch, like you, you t- scored a touchdown, f- uh, for the other team. Or, <laughs> that's
1: right. That's
0: right. Yeah, I, yeah. I think, I think Piper has said like, yeah, it's uh, on the cross death, committed suicide. And he's probably getting that from like Edwards or someone. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's. I, I love that thought. Uh, I, I really do. Um, yeah, it's just so, it's fantastic. So,
1: yeah, yeah. Go so ahead. I think the mental sort of the, the wisdom, kind of the mental mastery to say this will be the strategy that will will completely destroy this guy who's who's got you know what he thinks is all the cards. Yeah. You know, and he doesn't think we've got anything. Yeah. And we're not going to show him our cards. <laughs> we're just going to beat him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And and yeah, there's similar thing of like who who would have thought that uh two hobbits are going to, you know, defeat Sauron this this you know, the successor of Malcor and all this stuff like. right. right. It's not it's not going to happen, but yeah, like how how much more embarrassing if Tom Bombadil jumped up and they're like oh you know they're kind of even odds or whatever but like yeah, a hobbit what are you talking about
1: yeah if a Lutar wanted to humiliate saran what better way yeah. and say i can beat you with two hobbits right yeah yeah
0: that's so good everyone uh everyone go down to the water and anyone who drinks with their hand you know you're yeah, going right. home but the hobbits are left and they're the ones going
1: that's right right
0: yeah yeah i love that um so there's this I really want to ask you this question um, because I've been wrestling with it myself and it's not that big a deal, but it's, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm reading um, Magician's Nephew right now too. Um, And so it's Lewis and Tolkien both talk about their, in the creation of their worlds, uh, God creating through song. Yeah. And I really like that. And I'm just like, I don't know if I can go full, full bore on the song because it, it, Genesis one, John one, you know, in the beginning was the word, and it's Logos or Debar, and it's like, yeah, I want to make that connection and say it's singing, uh, but I don't know if, if biblically if it's warranted or not. Why did they pick song?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that because uh, they're Western men, and there's another thread that they're 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 drawing on, and it has to, this comes from Pythagoras. Okay. So you know, the idea that uh, we live in a uh, in a reality that in some sense makes music. Mm -hmm. And Pythagoras, you know, was the one who helped people see the connection between mathematics and music. And with mathematics, you can see, uh, you know, sort of the the surfaces of things and how they relate to each other. And there seems to be a kind of harmony at work, particularly in the cosmology of antiquity with the music of the spheres and so forth. So I think that that's what they're alluding to when they, when they, you know uh, uh refer to music as being uh the means by which creation comes into being and i, I don't know if you ever if you ever saw the 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 musical the music man yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Professor Harold Hill is trying to teach someone to sing, and he just says, "Singing is sustained talking." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So I'm not sure that the that the idea that the uh, you know the word de bar" and so forth and music are necessarily uh, incompatible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I really like that, you know, uh, I don't know if it's Psalm 23, but uh, God, you know, breathed out the stars. And yeah, yeah. yeah, just like when you sing and you're exhaling uh, and it's a it's a fantastic analogy for what's going on. It's not the it's not a one to one correlation, but it's it's analogous such that you can speak literally about God speaking out the without speaking univocally in the same way that Tolkien authored, uh, you know, the legendarium, God authored reality. And he genuinely, you can say that he is an author. You're not speaking uh, metaphorically. It's not literally false. literally true. It's just not in the exact same manner. And I think it fits so well with uh, the fairy stories idea of being sub-creators.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The reason why we can make anything at all is because we've been made by a maker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It it just gets me going. I love the uh, thinking about God as the author of reality and his connection to reality. And even the, the problem of evil and uh, stories and character development and like,
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that it, it, it carries all the way through. So we're, we are characters in a grand story and, uh, God argues through, uh, you know, reality. So like when, when it's like God's God has spoken through the hurricane, you know, yeah. <laughs> in other words, uh, you know, God's judgments, uh, are, uh, all around us. Yeah. Uh, his, uh, he's speaking to us that the creation itself, you know, glory of God is in some sense communicated to us through the world that we have around us. And we all kind of hear it. Uh, but some of us suppress it because we don't want, we don't like the implications.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Day to day for speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Uh, So in the magician's nephew, uh, the uncle, like he he can't hear the lion talking because he's got this pre, these preconceptions these presuppositions and he's suppressing that and so he, the animals can't hear him and he can't hear them and uh, there's this really cool part where where Slan is uh, he's singing and he's creating the universe and then all the monkey noises and giraffe noises and everything kind of now that's the music but mm. it, it, it kind of seems like there still is this reverberation of the song underneath yeah and uh, I, I thought about that with with you know the Psalms talking about day-to-day revealing God's it's not like God sang and then stepped back or whatever. Like it's still, yeah. it's still happening. Right.
1: Yeah. I think that's right. You know, we, uh, the Lagos uh, is the one through whom we've come into being and, and are sustained and being and for whom all things are made. So there's a sense in which uh, when you dig down uh, you just, you know, into like uh, kind of the, the very basis you know, sort of the basic or sort of fundamental you know, sort of, uh, uh level of things you, you've got, you know, uh, the word of God is the, what holds up all things. And so, yeah, I think, uh, um, I think, you know, uh, my friend, uh, Nate Wilson, um, talks about, uh, how, you know, creation ex nihilo is something that's continuing to this very day. It's not yeah. like something that happened in the past. It's yeah. like right now, <laughs> huh. out of nothing, the entire, uh, you know, sort of created order is moment by moment being spoken into being and sustained in its being. So the yeah. creation continues to this very day in that same way out of nothing. You've. Yeah. And, and, and I, I'm not a physicist, but it does seem like the, that's kind of the way it goes. You know, you, you dig down, you drill down and particles, waves, whatever, quarks I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but eventually you get to nothing. Yeah. You know, there's nothing down there, uh, yeah. at least that can be measured by human instruments.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, and you had a, a good piece in there too, about, uh, in the book about natures and, and the, the old way of viewing things and the new way of, of viewing things. I, I thought that was really helpful as well. Um, anytime someone talks about the trivium and the quadrivium, it gets me all riled up. It gets me all excited. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I, I, I do appreciate, you can tell, um, you got the, the pastoral instincts of of looking at words and saying like, hey, what does this mean? You know, let's, let's look back without stepping on the, uh, you know, the uh, root fallacy or something like that, which, right, which, right. which was fantastic. I love the, the the trivium, especially because I love to hate when people say, that's so trivial, or let's not be trivial. <laughs> no, no. If anything, we need to be trivial here. Let's right, be trivial.
1: Right. Let's play Trivial Pursuit more. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Because that's uh, you know, uh, for those who don't know, the the three I don't know if they're fundamental, but the first three uh, liberal arts are, are logic, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, and it's it's all about how we use our words and how we ought to use our words, right. uh, and and what follows from our words, and then. The quadrivium, I'm always like, yeah, and then there's four others that I don't really know that well because I, I like the, the soft sciences a little bit more. Right, right, uh, can right. it, what, what's the quadrivium for, for those who don't know?
1: Well, it's mathematics. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it begins with arithmetic and then goes on to geometry. And then things get a little weird from a modern point of view. You know, you go from, uh, you know, uh, geometry to really cosmology, um, what we might refer to as physics today. Mm-hmm. And then the last of the, of those four is music, yeah. which is what really blows people's minds because, but uh, you know, when you actually uh, know physicists, and I've got a number of friends who are physicists, world-class physicists, um, many of them don't have a, a difficult time seeing that connection at all yeah, because they're, they're seeing, they, they can perceive harmonies uh, in, you know, the, the created order. And then some of, some of my friends are actually accomplished musicians. So, um, these are guys who work with s- super colliders and stuff. So they're kind of top, top level guys and they're yeah. believers. And, uh, you know, so one of the fun things I, I learned years ago when I was, uh, you know, taking, you know, tests to get into graduate school, I took one particular test and they gave us all the scores for the, you know, the various disciplines. And it was really, you know, sort of, uh, uh kind of an apocalypse for me because what you had is is if you were to ask people, you know, so you got the humanities, you got the sciences, you, you, you were to ask people, okay, what's the the pinnacle? What is the what is the discipline at the top of each of those two branches of knowledge? People would say, well, on the sciences side, it's it's physics, right? It's mm-hmm. the physicist. And on the humanities side, it's philosophy. Turns out that those were the two highest scores. The, those two disciplines, physics and philosophy, were like, almost perfectly matched. What was embarrassing was to see what was the, the scores for the various disciplines going down on oh, yeah. <laughs> either side. And what was really quite disturbing was the very bottom on the humanities was education. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, <laughs> I mean, man. by a significant margin. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess but, it was all those gals who were like teaching kindergarten or something. Sure. And you know, I'm not trying to pick on the gals. I'm not trying to pick on kindergarten, but it's just, you just think about, you know, uh, what, what is, what is going on there with these two branches? Yeah.
0: Different, different skills, right. At that level, it's, 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 it's caring for children, uh, -hmm. in a different way. And it's different set of skills than, than, right. Right. Yeah. Abstract thought or whatever. Um, Yeah. yeah. I, so I, I, I love that you brought that up and, um, I thought about you had this, uh, dichotomy between good spells and bad spells. And my, uh, my early '90s evangelical upbringing was oh, spells. Oh. Right, 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 <laughs> if it's if it's right. Harry Potter, it's evil. I guess right. we can go for Lord of the Rings spells and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but I I've come to think of I have this I have a couple of like philosophy journals. This is my philosophy notes, and then I have my own and stuff. And I I like to reimagine the world, and I I like to not talk about it because there's a lot of talk of reimagination and, and mm. Christian apologetics and stuff. Yeah,
1: but yeah. but I I
0: I, I I I pretend that they're like that they're like good spells that even sometimes you see analytic philosophy and it turns out to look more like math but you're like look if if this is true if this does follow then i'm this is truth like these are true spells these these phrases or these arguments right, right. especially arguments are getting at reality and uh, they have to exist lewis says because bad spells exist bad philosophy exists and so yeah, I've, yeah. I've come to think of myself in that way and it kind of motivates me otherwise i'm just like of pretending to be a mathematician when I'm studying analytic <laughs>
1: philosophy or whatever. <laughs> right, but right.
0: Uh, can, can you lay out like, like, why should we not be uh, afraid of spells? Like, can you can you lay out what, what do you mean by spells in, in the book?
1: Yeah, well, what what I was getting at is something that Tolkien st- uh, talks about in his uh, essay on fairy stories. He's talking about the nature of language and he's talking about storytelling as a kind of spell casting. Yeah. Uh, and then he's the one who makes the connection between you know, um, you know, spelling like, you know, think about it. when you say spell, uh, you know, elephant Johnny, and then the kid begins to spell it. Well, what, what's being, what's happening is it's not a coincidence. Uh, human language is always, in, you know, sort of a, uh, an exercise of spell casting in a certain way. But the other question is, is what are, what are good spells and bad spells? Spells, bad spells are lies. The best uh, wicked spells are the most believable ones. They're the ones that get, uh, closest to the truth, yeah. but uh, deviate in important ways. And then, good spells are what you just described. They're in some sense a recapitulation uh, re, uh, or a restating of of reality. But but they're they're not um, kind of uh, merely a uh, a way of uh, just mimicking reality uh, because there is a there is room in reality for human beings to sub-create. Yeah. So we can bring new things into the world uh, be- because we have a measure of creative power to do that. that. So, you know, that's what I think, uh, you know, a good story is a good spell that's telling the truth and is fresh and new in certain respects in the sense that there's an author, a human author that's been involved in, in telling the, the, the story or creating the spell. But um, it's not a, a wicked spell. It's not a deception. Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, there's that great story, Leaf by Niggle, which is mm-hmm. kind of, you know, Tolkien's re- reflection on this. And, and and in that story, you know, you've got this little character named Niggle and he's painting a tree and he's afraid that it's beyond the scope of his skill and it's just a two he'll never finish it and he doesn't he doesn't finish it yeah. and, and in fact the only thing that survives is a leaf one leaf from the tree and um it ends up in a museum uh and it's just leaf by niggle and i and this this by the way is uh what i think i think that was a hobbit in tolkien's mind yeah
0: yeah you, yeah
1: because it was it's the good. only thing that w- that was published in the po- you know sort of popular fiction from this great legendarium that he was working on
0: and it, and it was uh the hobbit is is it more of a children's book than uh, the three uh, lord of the rings books right
1: yeah i mean you've got all kinds of fun stuff happening like the origin of the game of golf is described as you know one of uh bilbo's ancestors knocking off the head of a goblin and yeah. <laughs> and it goes in a hole and the 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 name of the goblin had the name the word golf in it in some way i can't remember okay. the name of yeah yeah <laughs> But, you know, there's there are all these fun things that are going on in that story. And then suddenly everything gets kind of serious in Lord of the Rings. Like, <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah. But back to Leaf by Nigel, uh, this tree that Nigel is painting, he dies. I think it's pretty clear in the course of the story. It's, it's, it's it this Now, this is definitely an allegory, which is kind of fun. To oh, think yeah. About. Yeah. You'd mentioned yeah. that. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so then Nigel finds that his tree is there in this land that he eventually arrives at. And then the, the question is never resolved or is not even asked, is the tree there because Nigel painted it? Or is it, uh, was it always there and Nigel saw it and painted it? Right. We're not told. Yeah. I, I, I actually uh, favor the first explanation that it's there because he painted it.
0: Yeah. I like that, too. It kind of it kind of has the ring of like uh, you know the the kings of the earth bringing their their treasures into uh, and it's, it's gold so it's surviving the the trial by fire.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's what I'm. I think and it should console us that our works do follow us. Yeah, uh, and that God wants us to make things. He wants us to create. Um, it's not a you know we're not overstepping our bounds uh, when we make stuff.
0: Yeah, I. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I had like an existential crisis when when you were expounding on tree by nail. I I don't like thinking about that because I don't want to be that. I don't I don't want to be spinning my wheels and then have whatever. Even if I had a leaf, that'd be something. At least have a leaf up there. But I'm doing this <laughs> podcast. You know, um, you, you're a fellow podcaster. Like, I don't want to be doing this for nothing. I don't want to die and then the Lord be like, "Well, that was good." You know, you you filled out your time. Uh, but but what you did, you know. At, only what you did in in uh, evangelism on campus that's the only right. thing that matters it's like well then why don't right. i just do that the whole time what the
1: heck <laughs> yeah and I, I think like a to lot think.
0: yeah yeah go ahead yeah,
1: yeah i think a lot of christians think in those terms you right. know so the only things that will survive the the trial by fire are the souls that i've won for christ or maybe maybe uh, the the gifts i've given to those in need yeah. maybe those will also qualify but beyond that nothing's got any better. and that particular that particular outlook is is uh, why, or it's kind of a, I think a justification for uh, poor work. Yeah, um, you know, people use it. Why should I try to to develop my talents or skills if it's all just going to burn anyway? Right.
0: Yeah, and I've and I've heard some 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 higher ups in a, a ministry that will not be named, uh, <laughs> but. They said, you know, why am I competing for a bigger uh, ash heap than yeah. someone else? And it's like, well, you know, fire can also refine. It doesn't have to just burn everything up.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So I'm with you. I I uh, think we should be in, you know, in, we should invest ourselves in, uh, you know, the labors that we call, you know, uh, culture. So like, you know, I, I lived in New England for, you know, 30 plus years and on every town green in New England, you've got this white clapboard church, right? Now, some people will look at those and say, "Well, there you go. There's an example of wasted time and energy, and mm. because the people who are in those churches today are not preaching anything that resembles the gospel." Mm. So, but then I, my, my my retort is, "Well, the building contradicts the message that is being proclaimed in those churches today, because those churches proclaim." that there is a God who transcends human affairs and is uh, to be worshiped and he will judge. You know, you can just look at at an old white clapboard New England church and infer all of that with the steeple and, you know, all that stuff. The good news is, by the way, that many of those churches, uh, the congregations that, uh, you know, sort of drifted into liberalism uh, have withered and died. And those churches are being reclaimed by gospel preaching congregations all across new england i i can i can tell you about half a dozen of them uh, just off the top of my head
0: man praise god oh that's huge yeah i well i wanted to ask you um what do you think about your your podcast episodes and and the uh the eschaton like will 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 will, will we will i be able to catch up on your uh on your
1: episode (laughs) i don't know i mean that's a that's a sweet thought uh maybe with all of the uh you know, maybe redacted and all of our errors corrected. (laughs) (laughs) You'll hear the, you'll hear like this, the the voice, sort of the vocal change (laughs) (laughs) and you know that something was corrected. Yeah. Uh, But I, I love that idea. Uh, You know, I, I write books. Um, One of the things I try to do with, with my writing, for example, is, uh, You've, you've, as you noted early on, the the book on Bombadil isn't terribly long, but none of the other books are either. I mm. I really work hard and kind of thinking about every, you know, thinking about really thoroughly every every word I'm I'm using, yeah. and um, and so I I uh, I may not write uh, a lot of books or very thick books, but I hope that they're books that are worth reading. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe reading again.
0: Yeah. Well, and and you can, because it's it is it's not just this. It's not going to give you a hernia, but like you said, I, you can tell. Like I think that's why I like the pictures of on the on the cover so much because it's a work of art, and it just it fits. It fits with the book because you can tell that you chose your words right. You can tell, um, yeah, you're you're a wordsmith at at work, and so I I do really appreciate that. And it's again, it's it's challenging uh, to someone who's studying. To be an analytic philosopher, <laughs> so, um, I wish I'm you all the best.
1: Yeah, thanks. Well, I'm, I'm,
0: there's the 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 wisdom tradition, you know, and and um, at some points, wisdom and philosophy have been separated, uh, even though the you know the etymology is the love of wisdom. Yeah, they're they separate, and and sometimes you get the continental guys, and you have no clue what the heck they're saying. You get the <laughs> analytic guys, and they're super clear when they're not using symbols, but they're talking about something that doesn't really matter. And then you get some of the wisdom guys who are just like, "Hey, here's here's what it is." And you're like, "Well, I don't understand. Like, why? Why? What about this counterexample?" And so, yeah, a goal of mine would be to to reunite those. And so I see works like yours as being a work uh, in philosophy. It's I, whatever you could call it. You could call it critic, uh, you know, literary criticism or something like that. But man, I just I really appreciate what you've done with this book, and uh, and I commend it to all my listeners. Go go and buy it. Well, if you can get it, because I think it's on like its third printing or something like that
1: yeah i've been really pleased at how well it's been selling and uh sometimes they run out of it on amazon i think i've run out of it a few times but i think it's they still they have it at least as of today they've got it
0: (laughs) yeah yeah uh so one of my one of my favorite parts of the book was um i think it's like the last footnote and you just said uh tom saved the hobbits from a tree and from a tomb and you're like i'm just gonna leave that there for you guys and (laughs) (laughs) And so I I thought that was awesome. I think that's a a good way to, uh, to end the show here. Um, But Chris, how can people find uh, more of your work if they're interested?
1: Well, uh, fortunately, uh, crwiley.com wasn't taken. So I was Uh able to get get that and uh, you can find stuff there. I don't update it very much. uh, Just like when a book comes out or something that I want to just put up that I, you know, would like people to see, I'd be happy to put this uh, on the links page. Yeah. but um so it's not like an active uh, site where i'm blogging or anything uh then of course there's the theology podcast um i used to blog years ago but um i got hate mail from around the world and i just kind of <laughs> decided I, I, it wasn't my my bag <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> uh, nothing like it man that's that's wild i love that um
0: also sometimes um people will be listening to the, this podcast from all around the country uh, and all around the world, but, but sometimes uh, where they can go to the church of one of my, one of my guests, is that something that you feel cool giving out? Oh yeah, sure.
1: Sure. I I, I serve a church called uh, uh, Westminster Presbyterian Church. I know of terribly original name (laughs) 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 and it's in Vancouver, Washington. So if uh, if, uh, somebody wanted to look us up on the internet, you'll be able to find us uh, that way. Awesome. And, and, just, and just check on the same side of the river there, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we, we have folks uh, visit us all the time. Uh, just so po- folks know, we've got a lot of kids. Uh, it's a church that's just, I think the median age of our church, I'm not exaggerating, is like 14. <laughs> and awesome. so it's like 250 people. So it's like, you know, a lot of little people. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. I love that. <laughs>
0: Well, awesome, folks, that's going to have to do it for us for now. But uh, Lord willing, we can get Chris back on and and talk about some more of his work. Uh, This has been Parker's Pensies. And if you like this video, then please give it a like. If you like the audio, please give me a uh, a five star review on uh, Apple Podcasts. All that good stuff. Please consider supporting on Patreon. Uh, Enough commodifying myself here. Um, This has been Parker's Pensies. And as always, all glory.